minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program.
boi
J.M. in the A.M. Good morning. Welcome to a Friday at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Friday morning on this November the 20th, day 8 in the month of Kislev, the year 5776, Tuf Shinayin Vav. It's Shabbos Parshas Vayetze, candle lighting at 414 on this Erev Shabbos. Very early, so please be forewarned. Shabbos starts at 4.14 with candle lighting. East at 2 miles an hour. Plenty of rain yesterday. Sunshine today with a high temperature of 57. And tonight, clear skies. Low of 40. Tomorrow, partly cloudy weather with a high temperature of 52 degrees. Right now, Yerushalayim is at 71. We're at 56 here on a Jersey City Friday morning. Chaim David had brach dodi. You heard Bunim done by Simcha Leiner. Boi Vishalom first by Yaakov Shweki and then by Eitan Katz. Birkat Habanim from the great Ohad and Regesh. Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Well, today is a day that um, so many of us have wondered if it would ever come. And today is a day where we reflect on a day like yesterday and wonder why it had to come. Today is a day that we always wondered if we'd ever see. We uh, we wondered if we'd ever experience this news as Jonathan Pollard has left the federal correction complex in Butner, North Carolina after over 30 years of being held on espionage charges. This was announced from Jerusalem after 11 a.m. Friday morning. His wife and a number of his closest confidants were waiting to greet him as he first tasted freedom at 4.15 this morning Eastern Time. From there, they set off for New York to begin their lives anew. Pollard was arrested for spying for Israel in 1985, sentenced to life in prison. He had spent close to 11,000 days in federal prison for his crime. So it's a day that uh, many of us never thought we'd ever see. And there are many restrictions, of course, on his uh, <clears throat> on his probation and on his release. But he is, in fact, out of prison at the moment. That goes in the category of days we thought we'd never see. In terms of days that we prayed we would never see, uh, yesterday was one of those. It is... Um, it is no secret that every single terror attack against Jews anywhere in the world, and specifically in Israel, as I always say, strains the collective Jewish heart and creates a tremendous amount of kinship and outreach <clears throat> from us to our brethren, no matter where they may be. Uh, yesterday's episode part of a day that claimed five lives in Israel at the hands of the enemy included the murder of Ezra Schwartz, 18 years old, from Massachusetts. The uh, pain and the agony for the average person in the Jewish community in the United States is likely even more severe than usual because so many of us can relate to sending children to Israel to sending grandchildren to Israel, to uh, knowing that it's the right decision and a great thing for the boys and girls who go, 
But we just pray every single day that no matter where they go in this world, including Israel, that they return safely. That they make it through their year or number of months or weeks and just make it back safely. And that's something that did not happen yesterday. Just the opposite happened to the Schwartz family of Massachusetts, for whom our hearts break and our messages of, con- of consolation as Ezra was murdered by the enemy. One of a number of students who were um, on a chesed trip. And there are no words, there are no words. Yes, although often I and others like to project the um like to project the uh reaction as if it would be equal no matter what in this case that's very difficult to do because of how close we feel in a similar situation to the Schwartz family i um take this opportunity to um send um, messages of condolence and consolation not just to their family and to friends and relatives who are so close with him, of course, but to all these students and the administration and the Rosh Yeshiva at Ashrenu in Beit Shemesh, Israel, or by Gotch Yudin and his amazing staff. Uh, I can only imagine what that group of youngsters is going through on this day after this terrible tragedy. Friday morning at JM in the AM. Uh, plenty happening here on a Friday, including the weekly update with Malcolm Honeline, which will be one hour from now. There is a lot to discuss. He'll join us coming up. Rabbi Yudin, in the Torah portion of the week, about 8.15 this morning here at JM in the AM, will close out the week for us at 9 a.m. Next week, a whole host of amazing JM in the AM substitute hosts, great staff members who are so dedicated to make sure this show rolls on. Uh, While it's typical that I'm off the second half of Thanksgiving week, it's atypical that I'm off the first half as well. And uh, because of the work that's necessary with the Jewish Unity Initiative that we are taking to Europe during Hanukkah. Uh, I will be out of town uh, starting uh, early in the week. And um, as I said, a great group of hosts will be with you here at JMNAM. So that starts on Monday, and I will return, please God, uh, the Monday after Thanksgiving here to JM in the AM. 17 minutes before 7 o'clock on a very difficult Friday morning here at JM in the AM. That's when I lift my eyes to the skies, dreaming, dreaming, days gone by. And I know you said that all I need is an honest try. 
In honest drive, but in the dark of night, in the lonely heights, you give me the strength to keep up the fight, but I can't move on, I can't live life without you. Sometimes life's like an ocean, sweet is quiet as blue. Sometimes life's like an ocean, sailing with you. Sometimes life's like an ocean, raging like a fool. Sometimes life's like an ocean, when it's drowning in you. Surround me, jacob me and bring me down. Rivers have come to surround me, to turn my boat around. Rivers have come to surround me, jacob me and bring me down. Rivers have come to surround me, to turn my boat around. That's when I lift my eyes to the sky. Without you by my side Hey. 
Byron Wells Just an ordinary day Was it anyone I know? How can life go on this way? A holy land of Israel How much grief can you sustain? We search for words of courage To help you ease the pain Be brave, be strong We're standing proud Be brave, be strong We sing out loud Be brave, be strong And hear our prayer To see Shalom Seeking comfort, I'm a strain to persevere. A nation of survivors, one family filled with pride. Oh, land of milk and honey, we will always stand. Stand by your side, be brave, be strong. We stand as one, be brave, be strong.
Dedicating that selection from Regesh to all the wonderful Jewish mothers out there. Those who never, ever stop worrying about their children, no matter where they may be in this world. Yehuda Solomon before that with Vishamru. You heard Cole Zimro. We stand as one. We certainly do. This morning in pain and agony with the Chusets. Eighth day with By My Side. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Vayetze, candle lighting at 414. And this is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Golly, it's on the background. News from Israel next. Malcolm Holine, a weekly update coming up at 7.40 this morning here at JM and the AM, and of course at jmnam.org and on the NSN app. You can comment on the app at any time. Give us your thoughts on this program or anything having to do with NSN. Go to the home screen of your NSN app and just comment away. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday follows next. We say Boker Tov from JM and the AM.
גלי צהל השעה שתיים, כאן שיבל כרמי מנסור עם מה שקורה עכשיו. אחרי שלושים שנה בכלא האמריקני שוחרר המרגל הישראלי ג'ונתן פולארד. כתבתנו איליל שחר. יונתן פולארד שוחרר לפני שעות אחדות ונמצא בדרכו לדירתו החדשה בניו יורק, שהוא מלווה ברעייתו אסתר. ההתרגשות בקרב בני משפחתו ומקורביו גדולה, אבל כרגע המשימה היא להתרחק מעדשות המצלמות ומעיני העיתונאים, ולציין את האירוע בשקט יחסי עד כמה שניתן. על פולארד יחולו לא מעט תנאים מגבילים, נאסר עליו להתראיין והוא לא יוכל לעזוב את ארצות הברית במשך חמש שנים. ראש הממשלה בנימין נתניהו בירך על שחרור פולארד ואמר כי ייחל ליום הזה. אני מאחל ליונתן שהשבת תעניק לו אושר ושקט, דברי ראש הממשלה. גם נשיא המדינה ראובן ריבלין מסר ברכות לפולארד ומשפחתו ואמר, לאורך כל השנים כאבנו את כאבו. מי שהייתה רעייתו של ג'ונתן פולארד, אן, אומרת לגל"צ כי המרגל הישראלי לא זכה לכל חנינה. חיכיתי ליום הזה במשך שלושים שנים ארוכות, לא ייאמן, זה רגע מדהים. ג'ונתן חופשי היום רק בזכות ג'ונתן, אף אחד לא עזר לו, אף ממשלה לא השיגה ולו חיסור של יום אחד מתקופת מאסרו. זהו הכוח של ג'ונתן. פרקליטו של פולארד, לארי דאב, אמר לעומר בן רובי בגל"צ כי מצב בריאותו של המרגל הישראלי רע. מצב לא טוב, ואני מקווה שאולי התחנה השנייה שלו יהיה אצל הרופא. הוא צריך אישור לכל מקום שהוא הולך, הוא צריך לדווח בבוקר איפה הוא יהיה, יש עוד כמה תנאים. במסגרת ההגבלות עליו כאסיר משוחרר, לא יוכל פולארד לעזוב את אזור מגוריו בניו יורק במשך חמש שנים. ראש השדולה למען שחרורו של פולארד, חבר הכנסת נחמן שי, אמר כאן במשדר כי ישראל נמנעה מלהתערב בתנאי השחרור. אני לא מוצא שום סיבה להמשיך ולהגביל אותו בדרך שהאמריקאים החליטו, אבל גם פה הייתה איזושהי גישה מצד חוגים רשמיים בישראל. שלא לערער על זה, קודם כל לראות אותו בחוץ ולדעת שהעניין מסתיים, אז אפשר להתחיל מחדש את המסע של להסיר מעליו את כל המגבלות ולאפשר לו בין היתר גם לצאת מארצות הברית אם הוא רוצה. גל הטרור בבית העלמין החדש ברמלה הובא למנוחות ראובן אבירם שנרצח אתמול בפיגוע בתל אביב. כתבנו ניתאי נבי. מאות ליוו את ראובן אבירם, בן 51, בדרכו האחרונה בבית העלמין ברמלה, ובהם חברת הכנסת איילת נחמיאס ורבין שאמרה, מדינת ישראל לעולם לא תשב בחיבוק ידיים כשהטרור מאיים על אזרחי ישראל. הוא הותיר אחריו אישה ובן. במאלי שבאפריקה מוחזקים כמאה וחמישים בני אדם כבני ערובה במלון בבירה במקור. כתבנו תאו וייס. כוחות המשטרה בבירת מאלי החלו בהסתערות על בית המלון וכ-20 איש מתוך מאה ושבעים השבויים שוחררו. על פי הדיווחים לפחות שלושה בני ערובה נרצחו לאחר שמספר חמושים ברובים וברימונים פרצו למלון בקריאות אללה וואכבר. עדיין לא ידוע מי עומד מאחורי התקיפה. הנהגים בכביש הערבה מתבקשים שלא לעצור סמוך לפונדק הקילומטר המאה ואחד בשל נחש שנמלט. כתבנו בדרום, רמי שני. בשטח הפונדק של כושי רימון בכביש 90 מתנהל בשעות אלו מצוד אחר נחש ארוך ומסוכן שנמלט מהכלוב בו היה כלוא. 
אנשי הפונדק פועלים לנסות לאתר את הנחש כדי לתפוס אותו ולהחזיר אותו לכלוב. בשלב זה מתבקשים נהגים הנוסעים בכביש 90 להימנע מלעצור להפסקה בפונדק עד שהנחש ייתפס. מזג האוויר בימים הקרובים התחממות קלה ויהיה נאה, אלה החדשות שעורך עמרי רחמימוב בהפקה אור שפירא.
J.M. and the A.M. Kamu Vaneha. That's, of course, Yaakov Shweki. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Vayetze, with candle lighting at 414 on this Erev Shabbos. Uh, Jonathan Pollard has been released, according to Arut Sheva, and the details that they've posted uh, regarding the uh, release of Jonathan Pollard. He um, he is going to be uh, restricted from going to Israel for a period of five years. He is now 61 years old. He is um, assigned a probation officer by the United States Department of Justice who will make sure to inspect and be sure that he stays within all the limitations that have been placed on him. Any excursion beyond the immediate area of his residence will require the approval of the probation officer. Forbidden from flying to Israel and forbidden from checking the Internet. At 4.15 this morning Eastern Time, he uh, tasted freedom for the first time in over 30 years, close to 11,000 days in jail. As I said earlier, a day that we never thought we'd see, frankly. And uh, hopefully he's on his uh, way to full freedom. I also mentioned that yesterday was a day that was uh, extremely difficult, as can, today continues to be. Uh, we always rightfully emphasize how important it is that our hearts go out to all victims of terror and all families that have been struck, no matter where on this earth it is. Uh, but when it's the Jewish community, and in particular something happening in Israel, and then, of course, on top of that, in particular, something that happens to a family that's in very similar situations that we are, it becomes even more acute and more difficult to deal with, and our hearts go out even further, if that's possible. And our hearts and thoughts are with the Schwartz family of Massachusetts this morning as they suffered the loss of their son Ezra at the hand of the enemy yesterday at the Gush. Um, he and a group of boys from the Ashrenu Yeshiva under the leadership of the great Rabbi Yudin and his amazing staff, um, they set out on a chesed afternoon and things did not turn out the way they thought they would with the enemy pouncing upon them and murdering one of these precious young men. So our hearts go out, and uh, there are no words. There are no words. So many of us are in similar situations, sending children and grandchildren to Israel and maybe even other parts of the world to, um, to grow and to gain and to be part of an experience that is like none other. And um, we always pray that everyone return back to their families safely. And thank God that happens in an overwhelming majority of the time. But when it does not, it is very, very difficult for everybody to deal with. Uh, Malcolm Honeline coming up with a weekly update a little later on. I do want to remind you that uh, there are some community events that are of certainly of importance and of note to the Jewish community. Uh, I got a I got a phone call yesterday. That essentially the um, essentially the Ohel dinner is so apparently they've completely maxed out a tribute to Mike Hellman and all the honorees. They've they've completely maxed out. So if you if you were planning on just showing up and getting a seat, you know, presenting a check and getting your seat, uh, it, they can't do it, and they're asking people not to do that. And uh, they ask for your understanding. And it's amazing what an outpouring from the community that this has happened. Um, so OHEL will continue with their amazing work. And they will have an incredible 
night, Sunday night. Just everybody who thought they'll be there will not be able to be there now because there are people who wait till the last minute who I think, based on what we heard yesterday, are going to be turned away. So call a kavod to all the supporters, all the honorees, and everybody who worked so hard to make it an incredible dinner, which it always is, and I'm sure it will be this coming Sunday night. 414 is candle lighting, 56 degrees, sunshine, and a high of 57. We're at 16 minutes after 7 o'clock, and this is JM in the AM.
Jan. Uh, hoping that the one above pays careful attention to our voices, that's for sure. Uh, before that, that's, uh, that's from Sheves Achim. Before that, David, uh, David Schlusselberg. I shouldn't say many. Some of the prominent rabbis that are that understand the uh, impact of this radio show have pointed out that it was uh, that it, that it is a wonderful idea uh, to um, study something that most people are likely unfamiliar with in this forum in memory of my mother, and therefore Sefer Avas Chesed of the Chavetz Chaim, literally a book of how to do Chesed. Um, We've been concentrating on that I could, uh, so I can study publicly in her memory yet another piece of this amazing book. This uh, chapter deals with the laws and mitzvah of lending money. It is a mitzvah to lend money to everyone, man or woman, rich or poor, adult or child, meaning to extend a loan to the child's guardian on behalf of the child for his benefit or someone equivalent in order that the recipient... The loan efforts is also an obligation in the child's own self, as is written in the Pasuk in Shmos, in Kesef Talveh Esami. And we are obligate, all obligated to extend kindliness to anyone who is in the category of, quote, Ami, my people. The law governing which borrower takes precedence is explained further on in this work. That is from Sefer Avas Chesed of the Chavetz Chaim. Um, Work, not that the Chavetz Chaim needs my uh, accolades, and that is of course in memory. Every time we do that, of uh, Esther Basar Yosef Halevi, whose mother's yard site, um, my grandmother's yard site, is tonight on the ninth of Kislev. So we add her, of course, to those that we remember on this Friday morning erev Shabbos. More Coming up, this is J.M. and the Ash. Uh, our hearts are one with the uh, Schwartz family of Massachusetts and all those of us who are parents and grandparents who have sent or will send or continue to send our children to the Holy Land and maybe even other places and just pray that they return safely and get where they need to get to safe in the United States as we relate very closely to the Schwartz family. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, more coming up at JM in the AM.
Shalom Aleichem Malachi Yashores Malachi Elyoi
In the AM, Avraham, it's Avram Fried, of course. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Malcolm Holmline coming up with a weekly update 20 minutes before 8 o'clock. Thanks to those tuned in around the world on the NSN app. If you, have, if you don't have it yet on your phone, make sure to install it. Rabbi Yudin, of course, at 8.15, our hearts go out to the Schwartz family of Massachusetts on the loss of Ezra through the murderous rampage on that car of uh, young men traveling in the gush yesterday. Um, I want to remind everybody that uh, on jmnam.org and of course uh, is this true? Somebody commented on our app Someone commented on our app that on the 8th of Kislev is the day that Jonathan Pollard was charged with spying for Israel, and the 8th of Kislev ends up the day he's released. Interesting. I wonder if that's true. Um, yeah, coming up, uh, 9 o'clock this morning, right after JM and the AM, it'll be another edition of uh, Naomi Nachman and Table for Two. Make sure to be tuned in as she presents Turkey Talk. Uh, the owner of Grow and Behold Grassfeed Meats, Naftali Hanu, will be there, and cookbook author Barbara Bensasun will be there, all between 9 and 10 this morning on Table for Two with Naomi Nachman following us here at JMNAM. Ked then presents an incredible Arif Shabbos music mix all through the day. Don't forget Sunday, Matis hosts JM Sunday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on the stream, jmnam.org. And um, 7 p.m. Sunday night, the brand-new court report, Elliot Weiselberg with all the basketball and hockey in the Yeshiva League. That'll be coming up uh, 7 o'clock Sunday night on the stream at jmnam.org and, of course, on the NSN app. Rumor has it that Benjamin Siegel might be sitting in on Monday as uh, we continue to um, move forward with the Jewish Unity Initiative for Europe, for France. And I will be out next week working on that, and uh, it sounds like Benjamin Siegel will be the first of the substitute hosts to be in this chair next week. How do you like that? And I want to thank Matis, who as always is working around the clock to make sure everything is is just right with the um, with our amazing staff uh, whenever uh, whenever uh, um, someone needs to step in. It's much appreciated. Malcolm Holmline Weekly Update coming up. Plenty more. Keep it here at JM in the AM. Yeah. 
Mary Goldwag Menucha Vesimcha. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Vayetze with candle lighting at 4.14. Yeah, it's pretty early. Been saying this for the last couple of weeks. Be careful on Erev Shabbos. Candle lighting at 4.14. Later on, sunshine with a high temperature of 57. Malcolm Holmline in a second with the weekly update. Want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. Million articles there for you to print out to you, uh, read about what's happening in this world of ours. Uh, check them out as they continuously, uh, enthusiastically, continually enthusiastically recommend our live stream to their readers. Big thank you to OnlySimchas.com. Not only are they using our content, they are so aboard this Jew- Jewish unity uh, effort that we are doing in Paris, which right now is full steam ahead, as we said yesterday with Robert Ben God forbid we're told to stop, but we, I don't think at this point we're going to be told to stop. So full steam ahead with our Jewish Unity Initiative, uh, being there on Hanukkah, broadcasting from there in La Victoire at the uh, at the beautiful synagogue Wednesday night with an incredible lineup, with one message, and the message is that when Jews are in challenging situations, and this message was before what happened last Friday night, when Jews are in challenging situations, there are other Jews in the world who care. That is the entire message, and I want to thank those who've made it possible. Uh, a dream come true, and let's hope that that dream continues to uh, to move forward as we get closer and closer to the holiday of Hanukkah. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents. It's a major back to JM in the AM. Are you there? I'm sorry. Oh, there you are. Yes, uh, last week Malcolm was in Jerusalem, this week in New York, and boy, as they say, what a difference... A week makes. Uh, we'll get to everything, I hope. Well, it's impossible to get to everything, but we'll certainly get to some of the pressing issues that people want to know about, including, yes, Jonathan Pollard will address it, folks. We know that uh, at 4.15 this morning, his freedom began um, to whatever level it's being allowed, and we'll explain all that coming up. And, of course, we'll talk about what happened last Friday night in Paris, which is paramount on so many people's minds, and uh, for us has even deeper meaning, as we just mentioned. Uh, but Malcolm, of course, I begin with what the Schwartz family is going through in Massachusetts and what the extended American Jewish community is going through. I say it like that because you know I always say no matter where the attacks are around the world, uh, when they happen to our people, it uh, hits home even more. When they happen in Israel, it hits home even more. And, of course, when it happens to people who are in, who are in very, very similar situations to us, uh, I'm in a situation of sending children to Israel now on a regular basis. You, of course, send grandchildren and I'm sure, no doubt, uh, children as well on a regular basis. When it happens to uh, people who are in very similar situations to us, obviously, it strikes very I could ask you is, what are your feelings as this murderous episode took place and one of our precious youth from these parts, from the United States, from our community, was gunned down by the enemy yesterday in Israel? Well, there were several attacks yesterday, as you know, and there are several attacks almost every day. Uh, yesterday's were particularly deadly, with five killed. First, several people, a couple of people in Tel Aviv, who were stabbed uh, as they were coming out from Dominic Mincha, uh, and the, the killer saw them in this room, in this uh, room where they meet to, to daven like they do all over Manhattan and many other places, you know, in businesses. And, yeah, makeshift minion. Yeah, makeshift minion yeah. that's uh, held regularly in this particular room. And then right. as he walked out, he, he stabbed these people. Uh, 
the second attack, of course, at the, in Gush Etzion, the, the attack on the bus, in which uh, Ezra was one of the, the victims. I actually spoke to, to members of the family because of an issue that arose yesterday. Uh, but he was a student at Ashrenu. He was going on a Chesed mission together with some of his friends. If you read the stories about him, he was a remarkable uh, young man. Yep. Inspired others to go to Israel, and who assured there was a source of assurance, a reassurance to them, and he, uh, they were going to visit also the memorial to the three boys who were killed last year. Um, and what's very disappointing, frankly, is again the reaction of the world. Jews were killed in the bombings in Paris, in the attacks in Paris, but they were not killed as Jews; they were killed as Parisians was not targeting Jewish sites. Mm-hmm. In this case, there's no doubt what, the, te- what the, the goal was, even though one of the people killed was, in fact, a Palestinian who was just standing at the bus station or and, and happened to be a bystander. Yeah, wrong place, wrong time. Exactly. But the United Nations statement cited the deaths of um, three Israelis, one Palestinian, and an American. No killer, no identification of who did it, no mention. And even more disturbing is that the White House and State Department did not issue statements yesterday, even though an American was killed. And the you see the, the, the statements that were issued in Paris properly, correctly, but here there was no statement issued, and we waited and waited until the end of the day and called the White House to ask what was going on. Uh, and it's... It, it, it is not only a, a double standard, this is a hypocritical standard for the world that rushes to impose sanctions against Israel, boycotts Israel, wants to boycott sections of Israel, Yehuda and Shomron and the West Bank, and they, people are, are so ready to jump and criticize Israel and to look and inspect every move by every soldier, every pilot, every sailor, and, and yet, they have this hypocritical double standard. They want to label products, fruits and vegetables, but they won't label the killers of Jews. I think it's something that is that compounds the tragedy, and it's something that all of us have to take very seriously. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's outrageous. Uh, I don't even know, and maybe you do, I'm not sure if you do. I don't even know if members of the United States House of Representatives from Massachusetts and members of the United States Senate from Massachusetts came out public. You know, we always demand when something happens, if someone's injured, for instance, from New York and New Jersey, we demand that our senators get out there and make the world aware of it. I don't even know if that happened up there. I, I do not. Actually, it's a good question. I don't know. I haven't seen any statements that have emanated from them. So it's a good... I, I can check, but... Uh, yeah, you know, I... This really has to send a different message, and that has to start at the very top of the federal government. Um, should have, and their absence and their failure to do so. And I don't want to see it become a political issue between, you know, in the silly season of presidential elections. This is much too serious to become a political football. This has to be a clear declaration, and the failure to do so, and the failure to be willing to name names and to ascribe responsibility compounds the problem in it and, and it's never the way to handle an issue like this if you can't name them if you can't shame them if you can't hold them to account then and and always find excuses if you see all of the statements that have been made from europe and elsewhere about the, that these are discontented people uh, disempowered 
that, that come from terrible circumstances. Most of these people are, are middle class. The guys who are being recruited as as uh, as foreign fighters in Syria, many of them are not coming from from lower classes or terrible or poverty situations. Doesn't mean they're all in good situations, but the, you know that he must have faced discrimination. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done this. I have no idea who he was. I don't know no idea of the history, but right away the excuse is there. Outrageous. Um, this may be a, a somewhat a little bit out of line, but um, I, I feel it has to be said. The and sometimes we are criticized, frankly, both me and you, because uh, we, we sometimes encourage people to you know, maintain their schedule of trips to Israel, etc. When sometimes people think that it may not be a time to you know to to address the topic or to encourage that, um, would it be would it be safe to um, to ask people the following? Um, th- there are there are probably many many thoughts going through the collective American Jewish mind right now about the um, about the relationship between our children and grandchildren and the state of Israel and what the present and future holds. Would it be a good idea for everybody to take a deep breath and be very careful about what they say or don't say in general about this situation and and you know and instead of reacting through emotion uh, to you know down the road. Uh, decide things in a more calm and collected manner. Would that be appropriate or out of line to say? I think it's the minimal that we can say. I do think it's absolutely appropriate, and your formulation is right. I never tell people when they say to me, but are you sure it's safe? I, I tell them I can't. Legally, I can't say it, and, and practically I wouldn't say it. I said, but look, I just went. I went and I spent five days. I walked around Yerushalayim. I don't go with security. My grandson is learning in Israel he doesn't go with any security. Uh, I, I, you know, we set the example by what we do. And yeah. think about the, the impact now in Israel, and people don't realize, because the hotels are generally still full. Uh, much of this is you know, tourism that was booked before, and I see Christian groups that, that uh, were coming. Um, a very big group from Florida that, that was, uh, they lost, I think, out of 90 people, they lost 10 or 15 um, but the stores are empty. People in, in Mamila tell us that 50% drop in, in sales. The stores in Tel Aviv are, are saying that they are empty. The, the many areas are hurting very badly. So if you don't go, maybe there are ways that you can do your Hanukkah shopping. Maybe, maybe you could order things from Israel. Maybe there are ways to you know, send money to people in Israel to buy stuff for you to bring We've got to show them that they're not alone, because this is not a war against Israel. It's a war against the Jewish people. It's the significance of what's happening at Harabais, and if people don't get it after all that we saw in the statements that followed in the in the last uh, days after you, you know and how long I've been speaking about this topic, hmm. um, you see it, it manifest so clearly that this is not a war against Jews in a particular place. It's not a territorial war. It's a war against Judaism, it's a war against the Jewish people, it's a war against the Jewish state. And we can't aid and abet that by canceling trips, by by not going to Israel, postponing it. It's actually the time when they need to see us most. And people have to weigh it, think about all the, the, the situations, but, you know, I see them make decisions to go to other places, in Europe, for instance, which certainly aren't, much, aren't safer, and there's no assurance... Given the attacks you saw in Marseille, the attack against the yeah. 
uh, Jewish-looking individuals and, and the nature of it, because they showed pictures of Mohammed Mara, the guy who carried out the attack in Toulouse. So this wasn't haphazard. It wasn't just an act of guys driving around the street and all of a sudden decided, because they had ISIS uh, T-shirts. They, had, they asked him, are you a Jew? And then proceeded to, to beat him up and, and stab him. And only because a car came was his life spared at all. There, there are no. It's not a question just of safety. You have to think about the implications of our actions and what regrets you'll have afterwards for our failure to stand up at a critical time. Yeah, Bariskin has mentioned many times in this show where we can't treat Israel like Disneyland, you know, vacation land. We have to treat it like a motherland uh, that, that it is. And uh, believe me, the motherland needs us more than ever. Um, all right, so with this episode and uh, this terrible tragedy and the murder in, uh, the murders, I should say, in, uh, southern Tel Aviv, and obviously what we were discussing in the Gush, uh, you know, the, everyone's, uh, natural reaction, what can Israel do at this point? I mean, we're talking about what seems to be, I'm not using the word random, that there's no incitement and there's no directive. I'm not denying that there might be. I'm saying random in that people just have no clue. That, you know, the person standing next to them, as we say often, or, or walking by them during a mincha service, might be out to stab and kill everybody around them. Uh, is there anything that can be done to prevent these attacks? Well, the, the uh, answer is that they, they, they are exacting the price. They have to do more house demolitions and punish the parents of, of those who are, quote, underage. That they have to hold people to account within the bounds of the law. And I think that uh, the Prime Minister has you know, given very strict orders, and I discussed it with the police commissioner and minister and others um, in Israel. It is very hard. This is a whack-a-mole. You know, they pop up in yeah. unpredictable places. It's not something you can track. You can't have intelligence that, that you know, leads you to listening to chatter or some other exchanges on the Internet, things like that, that would direct you to, to a particular individual or individuals and a cell. They, they bust up the cells. They go in and they make arrests, many arrests in, at night in, in different places in, in Palestinian areas where uh, camps and, and other places where they know of this activity. When somebody is incited by the Internet, when he's contacted by a relative, when he just makes a decision one morning after breakfast to go out and kill somebody. Mm-hmm. It's very hard, and I know it's easy for everybody to be an armchair chair general and say, this is yeah. what you have to do. You know, there's a limit to how many walls and fences you can put up. There's a, a limit to how much you can impinge on people's lives. But, frankly, in this circumstance, you've got to do everything and hold everybody to account. Look, Abbas himself is not being held to account by the international community. You know, there are some criticisms, and members of Congress have issued statement after statement and resolution after resolution, which is really wonderful, but it doesn't matter. And this week he admitted that he rejected the Omer plan, for instance, which all along, you know, they kept saying it was Israel that walked away. And he said, no, I walked away, he proudly proclaims it, said that, that, uh, that he was responsible for rejecting it. Did anybody, all those who wrote, did they write columns saying we were wrong? We acknowledge now that it wasn't Israel, that it was the Palestinians, like they did every other time, walk away from negotiations. 62% of Palestinians opposed new negotiations in a poll that came out in the last day or so. Mm-hmm. And a half of them would favor a new intifada now. Which we have already, but whatever. Well, we have in essence. It's not yeah. It's not a broad scale. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, we've discussed but the difference. I, yeah. I know the impact is 
is one where people feel that they are in in this kind of thing. You know, they caught a, a truck carrying rocket fuel to Gaza, and they've they've caught all sorts of things, which shows that uh, there's an escalation and that they're getting assistance from outside. And whether it, in Iran, it's, it's still funding Hamas, and you have other groups that are, are providing funds and uh, trying to build themselves up in every country in, in the region, and actually drives the Arab states closer to Israel in. in uh, in, in view of all of the the regional crisis, I should say. Right. But the bottom line is, the world is just full of hypocrisy, and and the, you know the Swedish prime minister, the foreign minister of Sweden, you know, said that Paris occurred because of the Palestinian the frustrations of the Palestinians. Right. Israeli thing. Right. Now the Swedish prime minister yesterday said, uh, "We were naive about ISIS." <laughs> No, they should have looked now and say, were the attacks in Israel because of Paris? <laughs> so true. And you know what's going on in his country, by the way? Of course. It's, it's, life is intolerable for Jews. Jews are leaving there. And oh, I, 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 I would say life is becoming intolerable for non-Muslims there. Not just Jews. For, for people, for, yes, but young, young Europeans are leaving Europe. Right. Even even Muslims who are getting up who, who who can't take and don't want to live under these circumstances and live in those areas uh, that are becoming increasingly dominated by Islamists and, and extremists and imposing Sharia law on sectors of France where they have their own internal legal systems. There are parts of Germany where the Minister of Education told me himself that they don't teach in German, they teach in Arabic, and that they have little control over the curriculum. And the you know, and and what does Europe do? It labels products, which is an, an encouragement to, to to boycott Israel. We know that it's a first step, that it's a, an introduction, where you you keep raising the standard and and the bar, remove barriers to uh, ultimate discrimination against Israeli products. But it's uh, you know there are all these other separatist movements, two hundred of them around the world. And situations like where where there are territorial disputes, and yet you don't have a single one of them being subjected to to well, this kind of uh, of legislations and, and uh, uh, resolutions to to imp- implement uh, essentially a boycott. And the the distinction we hard to make because they you know if it's not labeled from the West Bank, then they'll say, well, we can't do anything uh, uh, from Israel. Right. It's, it's uh, you know it's not something to be dismissed. It, the economic impact is minimal. It's true, and and the, generally the BDS movement's uh, impact, but it's not just the economics of the issue. You have to look at it much more broadly about what is the psychological impact, the, the sense of isolation. These are the goals. They don't care about the economic impact. They don't care about the economic impact on the tens of thousands of Palestinians who will lose their jobs because. Right. And the symbolism. They care about the symbolism. And boy, it's very symbolic, all right? It's uh, way behind schedule. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM Dial, broadcasting live from the Sony and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. I want to thank our JMNAM team who will be sitting in next week while we go to uh, make the final preparations for our Jewish Unity Initiative for the Great Synagogue of uh, Paris, where we will uh, be broadcasting and presenting that amazing uh, Hanukkah program on the 9th of December. 
Um, well, you heard what happened in Mali this morning. I'm sure most people are aware of the news. Anybody who gets alerts is certainly aware of the hostage situation there. And, of course, we know what happened last Friday night in Paris, which we'll talk about more in detail in a moment. And and I know we've pointed this out before, but the the degree to which the world is watching as we just never know where the next attack is going to be. We never know where ISIS is going to rear its ugly head. You know, when they're, when they're threatening Times Square, I know that New York City officials and FBI officials are trying to calm everybody down. I get that. And they tell us the difference between a video, you know, created and reality of, of what their intelligence tells them. But nonetheless, you know, there, there's nowhere on this planet at this point where it seems they just can't go and, and create bedlam and murder. And, and you don't even know how many attacks there are all over the world which don't get reported which you know you've seen the attacks on the, on Israelis hardly gets reported unless it's something you know this bloody and an American involved I'm not sure otherwise it would even be noticed it would be reported at all right and and there are attacks in Arab countries against Muslims against Christians all the time against Yazidis against Baha'i against Muslims. nobody cares they don't even report these things so what we know about is when there is something that it's uh, like in Mali and, and the, what the, the acts of Boko Haram and uh, and the uh, attacks that that go on everywhere. And the world becomes, in your view, becomes you you you, you that they raise the level of what is acceptable. That yep. beheadings become norm. Right. You don't even you don't get the sense of revulsion against it. That uh, would, would believe, and you know, in Yemen there was a big explosion. I think ten people were hurt. A couple very, very seriously. Nobody's going to report it because nobody cares. And uh, you know, at least I think three people were killed in Mali. And, and, and yeah, but how how many how many terrorists were part of the operation that that hit six different sites last Friday night in France? I, I, I'm not asking you for an exact number, but how many people? At this point, around how many people were involved to carry out that entire operation? First of all, you have support groups, and you have the support for the support groups. You have those who um, inspired those who who. who uh, yeah, you're basically getting to my point, where we're, where it, it's endless, right? It's not just the twenty, thirty, whatever number of people they think they're rounding up and maybe even you know killing in these raids. It, you're, you're talking about a a really large number of people have to be involved in some way, shape, or form. Exactly. There has to be a large number of people, not just those who are apprehended. And you know that in Belgium they've already had right. several raids. In France they've had several, several raids. There are ties to people in Germany. There are, Netherlands. Are, are, and, and then you've got to look at who are their handlers and who are their handlers, you know, who's funding it, who's providing weapons. How did they get all these coalition accounts? Even though I think they're generally available, you can buy everything anywhere today. Um, but I think I think people don't realize that that it's not. They, they talk about lone operatives. There are no lone wolves here. When it came to nine eleven, we always talk about the nineteen, right? The nineteen that were responsible for it. But you'd have to. I mean, you'd have to say again that circle of uh, of um, guilt was much larger than that. Correct? I don't know why. In, I don't know why in this case it seems more obvious than it did in the 9-11 situation. Well, we've learned to understand the operations, and people are more aware of, of who the groups are and, and the kind of uh, what, what is entailed in carrying out and executing uh, some of these attacks. You can have a lone operative, but you have to look at the Internet. You look at the source of, of incitement, 
whatever, it could be an imam. But he doesn't have to have a big network to go out and stab somebody. Yeah. Carry out synchronized attacks and have the backpacks and the, the belts and everything. That's a big operation. French reaction, of course, uh, go hit ISIS hard, and they've had help from the U.S. and others in this. How hard has it been? Has it made an impact? Are they destroying the economic uh, a tunnel that is so important to ISIS to keep them going? I mean, did, did they make any progress in the one week that since they made the commitment to go and get ISIS? I wish I could say yes. There is, there is, the French have bombed ISIS. They started, if you remember, several weeks ago, I said on the show that France was in line to, for a big attack and they were starting to bomb Raqqa in, uh, to, to try and prevent it. So it wasn't that this wasn't known. It was, um, it, it, they were anticipating this. But this really accelerated it. And, and there was no way to prevent Again, even when you have advanced knowledge, because they infiltrate into the society, they they had no they, they didn't know that this ringleader. And if you notice, they said the information came from a non-European intelligence source. So you can think about what the alternatives there could be. <laughs> yeah. That they found out that where that he was uh, in fact in Europe. So being aware of it, and I, and I think I told you a long time ago that I had this discussion with the head of French security and others, and he told me that he needs 10 men or people to assign to cover each of the foreign fighters. There are at least 1,500, maybe more from France. He said, I don't have 15,000 people to assign to this. And the, the guys who are watching the, the killers at Charlie Hebdo were pulled from their surveillance of, of the guys who carried out the attack just a couple days before because he needed to move them to some other place. Very disconcerting. The media reports it as great progress against ISIS, but you tell us the reality. If they will show me what the progress is against ISIS, you can bomb them. They, they saturate bombing of, of uh, ISIS. You have the Russians, Americans, everybody's bombing them. The French carry out many attacks and are moving ships into the uh, 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 into the region, into the Mediterranean. The, Mediterranean. Um, the Russians have a lot of ships there. They're shooting missiles. They're doing other things. They are most times going after the rebels, in the Russians' case, but we certainly have been going after ISIS. Yeah. But you can't show on the ground great success that we've really, that they really beat back the advances. And in many cases, the ISIS took territory from the Syrian army and from backed by the Russians and others, so it doesn't, I don't see yet where the great progress has been. Yeah, I wonder why the owner of the uh, of the um, theater where the attack took place in France is running to uh, proclaim that uh, that there's that that he w that the venue was not targeted because he's Jewish. I don't know how he would or would not know why that venue was targeted. And why, and, and, and what would be, I don't know, what would be wrong with assigning to the enemy the desire to hit a target that's owned by a Jew? I just, I don't know. Well, we, we don't know. It could be that they, they just had no evidence. I mean, there is no evidence from what I understand about why the particular sites were, were selected. I don't know what intelligence they've gotten from interviewing uh, the people that, that carried out. And you know that ISIS is standing in the Muslim world, according to a study, except for Pakistan. In the Muslim world, they they were rejected by in the 90% in most countries. 
and they're not gaining support by by virtue of what they're doing. You got to look also what is their support? How are they able to pay for all of this? They make forty million dollars a month from oil. In addition, they have all sorts of criminal activities, all sorts of criminal activities. They sell antiquities that they steal. They they buy. They sell the farm the passports of foreign fighters, the tens of thousands of fighters, which are of course on a market for people trying to get out and to use them. They they uh, deal in drugs. They deal in all sorts of things. Ransom from kidnapping, which nets them a lot of money. So they have, uh, and then they of course take over equipment from Iraqi troops and other troops uh, over the years. You know to to use, and uh, we don't know what outside sources of funding also aid and abet them. Yeah. But that's another way to to hurt them. It's cut off the funding. Bomb all of their refineries. Don't let them export a drop of oil. No shortage in the market for oil today. Um, what do you think of the uh, of day a day that I never thought we'd actually see? Uh, day one of the uh, release, the freedom of Jonathan Pollard. Um, in a way, I uh, I think that, it, that because it ended up again, no one is hoping that he not be awarded the total freedom at this point. Uh, I wish he would have, and he, there are some restrictions now in terms of where he can go, etc. But I think uh, in the big picture, the global picture, just ma- having it being done in such an understated way and really out of the headlines, outside of news articles, um, I think may have been the best approach, may have been the best thing in general for the for Israel, for the United States, for the Jewish community. What do you think? I think the, uh, Israel has welcomed the, the release. Uh, we certainly do. We, we, I, I can only imagine... Pollard's relief, but we have to remember he paid with 30 years of his life for his, his crime, a crime that he has expressed regret for. It's so far disproportionate to what anybody else has, but I think at this point we should look to the future that he'd be able to live his life. He, he has a job. He will uh, you know, begin his life. He wants to do it quietly. I think it's part of the understanding that nobody wants to you know, have parades or anything else at this point. Uh, we should be thankful that he's out. It, it wasn't an automatic until the last minute. No one was sure what actually might might happen. And, uh, you know, he'll, I'm sure ultimately books will be written and we'll come to a much better understanding of what really occurred. You know, it was interesting. I read an article in the Jerusalem Post that was giving a, uh, a synopsis of what Israeli intelligence was like, especially in an era from, let's say, the 1950s and 1980s when they... Where they were seriously, sp- well, how do I put this? Where it seems they were seriously spying on the United States, and it is such a different atmosphere now. Thirty years later, after Pollard, it is such a different atmosphere where it seems they would not, in any way, try to quote unquote spy on the U.S. to get intelligence information. And what you've always told us about recent years, the Memo of Understanding, the intelligence cooperation, the military cooperation, etc. Some of us don't realize, maybe I don't realize sometimes, that we're really in a completely different era, and I mean it in a more positive way, in terms of the U.S.-Israel relationship. Um, the level of cooperation in, in many areas, especially in intel, etc., is very good. It depends often on who's in charge and, and uh, in the different agencies, and of course the message that comes from on top. But Israel also provides tremendous resources. Israel does not spy on the United States. It is a policy that was adopted after 
uh, Pollard uh, debacle for which uh, there was a heavy price paid. Right. Heavy price in Israel's reputation, a heavy price for some people in government. Um, you know, they called it the Pollard effect for a while. I think it's, it's dissipated by and large. But there still are cases where we, we hear of uh, discrimination against people who had uh, involvements in Israel, etc. And on the other hand, you see others who rise to high positions in these agencies, even though they've had, they went to Israel to study, or they went, they, they've had the family visits, etc. So it isn't a, such a clear picture that one could point to. Generally, the level of military and intelligence cooperation right now is very good, um, and it, but it always varies. There's always things that are being held back, there's information that's not necessarily shared, but the personal level, and I saw it, I, I addressed this week, the 500 uh, pilots and the officers, the top officers of the Air Force, in a special seminar that they do periodically, I think every few years or every year, um, and you see the incredible quality and people who are there that we take for granted, who are out there every day putting their lives on the line. But they spoke, and, and, and I saw personally the interaction with their American counterparts who have to be visiting uh, how close the personal relationship is and the interaction hmm. that we don't see publicly uh, taking place every day. Uh, I thought of you last night as the debate was raging in the Siegel home about the uh, Syrian refugee issue and whether, in fact, there should be a quota, not a quota, anybody should be allowed into this country, not be allowed into this country. And you know what the president is pushing for, the number 10,000 of Syrian refugees. We saw what Congress did yesterday. Uh, can you weigh in? on this issue of how you view the United States and its role now with the refugees? I think every Jew has great sympathy for refugees. We know a world that closed its doors in the past on, on ours. But first of all, these are not many of these are not refugees in the same sense. If you look at the disproportionality, it's not families leaving, it's not women and, and orphans that I think are the problems that as, as it's being portrayed. But you see all of these young men, uh, and I heard a debate the other day where they were saying, why are they not fighting? Why aren't they there not rebuilding Syria or fighting against the Assad regime? You know, that, that caused the problem, and that the only way you'll solve it is solving the situation at home that's driving people out. But I don't know to what degree, even if things were calming down, would people not want to leave and certainly go to Europe, go to elsewhere, go to America, uh, for a better life and better circumstance, which we, we understand, but you, you, you create a circumstance by such a massive flow of people that, A, you can't properly uh, weed out the, the potential dangers, and, and you know that at least one of the people in the Paris attack came through through this way. Um, two, that, that the demographic imbalances in Europe or balances in Europe are, are going to be impacted, especially with Germany. Where I just saw the study that they will have 20 million Muslims by 2020. Um, the the other projections that that we see, and you can't integrate the people fast enough. You can't put a, give them decent jobs and, and uh, work them into the societies of the countries if it's not done in an orderly and and uh, thoughtful way. You know what today is the largest Muslim city in Europe. What is what is the largest? Moscow. Moscow? Right. 
Nobody believes it, but it's Moscow. They have between 1.5 and 2 million Muslims. Now, many of them came from Central Asia, um, and, and there are estimates that there are a couple of thousand Russians and former Soviet Union territory people in ISIS today. They don't, there's a, such a large Muslim population in, in the Russian in territories under Russia's control, certainly, you know, Chechnya, everybody knows, in the Northern Caucasus, which are troublesome, and where you see the process of radicalization uh, going on. So it's not just the parts of Europe that we just, we uh, generally tend to, to look at. It's it's everywhere in Europe, and the you know the to to grant people who are really seeking asylum from persecution, etc., would make sense. But you've seen all the statements, and again, it had to take somebody with greater expertise about the fact that that Christians are discriminated against when it comes to getting out or not who are certainly in grave danger, or Baha'is in, in Iran, or others, um, as opposed to this massive flow across borders of tens of thousands of people a day that, you know, just end up in these populations, and, and who's going to integrate them? Are they going to create, then, camps within every country and to perpetuate the, both the poverty and the, the, the breeding ground for more attacks? Yeah. Big issues, that's for sure. You know, history and uh, Jewish history specifically, as we know, really has its ups and downs. And there have been some very, very challenging times. Um, many, many quite recently, historically, 20th century, some really, really challenging times and dark times. And you turn around and almost in an instant, so to speak, things are completely different. Enemies are eradicated. Um, countries, you know, become diplomatic uh, friends and move on. So many different crises, and I try to tell this to people in the next generation who sometimes panic about the situation. Uh, is there anything that you could tell us this morning that would put a positive ending to all this, That uh, where you see some light at the end of the tunnel and that the free world will, in fact, respond the way it has in the past to eliminate the darkness and to really light up the world? First of all, there's, there's a lot of good news when you look at the situation in Israel, some of the new discoveries that they've come out with in, in recent weeks, and the medical devices and treatments for all sorts of diseases, etc. So there's a lot of good news that Israel is alive and well, and the fact is that Jews who are persecuted have a place to go. Here you have 21 Arab countries, and they have to escape to Europe. Why aren't they going to Saudi Arabia, to, which is underpopulated, or UAE, or all these other places, countries? They don't take them in. Why isn't Iran, which is doing so much in, to, to instigate the situation, or Russia, have not taken large numbers? But thank God Jews go to a, a, a country that is certainly a 21st century country, have a, a democracy and a place they can live and they'll be accepted and no matter what the burden is their conditions <clears throat> there is an open door for them so we are really in the most unique position and I, I will tell you that Arabs there I've heard it from Arab leaders saying hey you guys are not in the same circumstance we don't have an alternative you do and you see how much more the the Arab states continue despite everything to to look at uh, at Israel in a in a different way, so I think that there is it is truly a complex time 
it's a difficult time. I think Israel moving against the Islamic movement was a, a good move this week. It's something long overdue. They should have outlawed him a long time ago. The, um, I think the, the need to stand up for, for, firmly and forcefully and that the West will ultimately have to make some tough decisions. They do not seem ready for it. They don't seem willing to make the tough decisions, and each time excusing it or not putting the onus where it belongs, naming names and saying that there is an Islamist problem, because Muslims are the, are the biggest victims of them, the first victims of them. And that's the precedent, by the way, that we keep hanging our head on, and that is that uh, the West has made important decisions in the past. Now we need them to make it again. And we need leadership that will be willing to, you know, not just to throw out ideas. And the debate shouldn't be over, you know, letting in orphans, because I don't know how many orphans there are, three-year-old orphans are waiting to come into the country. It means the, 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 the discussion of a very serious issue. How do you protect the country? How do you protect when you know that there are forces that want to infiltrate, that want, and who, whose goal is the destruction of America, the destruction of, of democracy, the destruction certainly of Israel? But their fundamental, their, their great Satan, Satan is the United States. Yeah. The European countries do. Do they think about what are the ramifications? They say they need population that they need because the European population is so much older and that this will invigorate the economy. I mean, that doesn't seem to make any sense. That's for sure. The view of the security challenges and the, the, the populations that, that don't want to integrate. And one, my point earlier about all these young men is that they're going to bring members of their families. They can bring, I think, four or five members of their families. So when you see the projections by those who have studied this issue, and I'm certainly not an expert on the demographics uh, issue, they could tell you how many, how many, uh, they can project how many people will, in fact, be involved. Because once they're there, then they're going to bring families or relatives. And you see this, the pictures of these long, long lines of people. There are very few women and very few children. It's all seemingly able-bodied men. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, the future of the Jewish peoples in the state of Israel. Yet again, we learn this lesson. Um, n- uh, next week, uh, Thanksgiving weekend, so we'll reconvene uh, two weeks from today. And I uh, thank you, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Happy Turkey. Have a good Shabbos to everyone. And they should be optimistic. We will overcome. We've had worse problems in the past. Today, thank God, and seeing those Air Force guys and looking at the F-15s and all the great innovations, we are in good hands. Yep. Especially remember the Shabbos and Dominic. 100%. And uh, in good hands of the one above as well. Um, most importantly. JM and the AM, Friday morning, Arif Shabbos Parshas Vayetze with candle lighting time at 4.14, very early. 4.14 on this Arif Shabbos. This time each and every Friday, every Arif Shabbos. With great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Vayetze. Parshas Vayetze with its 146 psukim is an exceedingly rich parsha. It contains, to begin with, that incredible majestic dream that Yaakov has in the place where the future Beis Amidosh is going to be built of the ladder ascending to heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending on this ladder and Hashem giving Yaakov an incredible 
insurance policy that I am going to be with you, says God to Yaakov, and I will watch you, and I will bring you back. I will not forsake you. Wow. Yaakov then goes to the house of Lavan as he is instructed by his father and he builds the family of Yisrael, eleven sons and one daughter. When Yosef is born to Rachel, Yaakov says, time to go back, meaning the one that can combat Esau has been born and the parsha ends with Yaakov arriving back at the soil of Eretz Yisrael. I'd like to point out a very interesting phenomena which is most unique in our Torah and that is as follows. As we know, and it's one of those we had at first, that when the Torah goes from topic to topic, from one subject to another, then most often there is what you would call in English a new paragraph. In the Torah, these paragraphs are either called psuchos, whereby the Torah ends one thought, and the rest of that line is open, hence psuchos from the word posuach, the line is open, or stumos. Stumos means that the new paragraph or new idea continues at the end of that line. In the 146 psukim, verses of Parshas Vayetze, there is not a single break in any of the columns as the Sefer Torah is written in every single Sefer Torah. This is called a parsha, which is stuma. Stuma means literally closed. Now, the question is why? So, both the Da'as Zekenim as well as the Baal HaTurim in his commentary, both of these sources address this question and they give a very interesting answer. Says the Baal HaTosvos, why is this Parsha Stuma? Because Yaakov leaves Bitsina. He leaves literally, secretly, quietly, mipnei esav, not to be detected. The Torah, in its creating and writing the parsha, stuma, closed, is hinting at this point. And the Balaturim says, similarly, it's stuma. Why? Yaakov left literally 
quietly, secretly, ubarach behechavei. And he fled, hiding, and therefore the Torah reflects this condition. Now, what's required reading for this parsha is the very last Rashi in Parsha's Toldos, a long Rashi, where Barashi tells us why the Torah informs us at the end of Toldos that Esav marries Machalas, the daughter of Yishmael. And in that Rashi, we're told that this marriage of Esav to Machalas is there to teach us the age of Yaakov when he received the blessings from his father. How old was Yaakov? Contrary to what many people might be thinking, he was 63 years old, as Rashi proves. Yes, 63. And then Rashi goes on to teach that Lomadnu Mikan, from the context of this Rashi, Shinitman the base Aver, that Yaakov hid himself in the house of study of Aver, in the yeshiva of Aver, Arba Esrei Shana, for 14 years. And only after that does he go to the house of Lavan as our parsha picks up in the second Aliyah. Now the question that one might very well ask is, my goodness, how is it possible that Yaakov is able to hide from his brother for 14 years? After all, Esav, we know, wants Yaakov dead. Proof? The Torah teaches us that when Yaakov sees Rachel, who comes with the sheep, so what does he do? He cries when he first sees Rachel. Rashi tells us two interpretations. The first one, he saw literally with Ruach HaKodesh, with divine insight, that and divine inspiration, that he will not be buried with her, or she will not be buried with him, and therefore he cried. And the second opinion that Rashi brings is, Yaakov was very troubled. When Eliezer came to get a wife for his father, Eliezer brought with him jewelry and delicacies, However, Yaakov comes to his uncle Lavan's house completely empty-handed. Why so? Because his nephew Eliphaz, the son of Esau, literally in following his father, Esau's command to kill Yaakov, overtakes him, and Yaakov convinces him that a person who is impoverished 
is somewhat comparable to a dead individual, and therefore he's stripped of all his possessions. But what do we see? That Esav is out to get Yaakov. So how is it possible that Yaakov is able to hide in the most natural place where Esav would be looking for him. Yaakov the Ishtam, Yosheva Holim, would naturally be hiding and studying in a yeshiva. So teaches Rab Simcha Zisel Brody, Zechronel of Racha, who was a Rosh Yeshiva in Hebron, teaches a very interesting incredible insight into this whole idea. And he says the following. Wow! The Medrash, or forgive me rather, the Zohar in Parshas Truma teaches Kuchabrichu istakel be'oraisa ubora alma. God looked into the Torah as the blueprint, and then he created the world. Now what does that mean? He says this is literally to be taken, that the Torah is not a record of the events of the reality which took place, but rather the Torah creates the reality as opposed to simply recording it. And so, he says that for 974 generations prior to the creation of the world, as found in Yalkut Shimoni, in chapter 12 of Tehillim, where David HaMelech says in Tehillim verse 7, Imros Hashem Amoros Tehoros, the words of Hashem are words that are pure. And it continues, Ba'alil Lo'oretz, clear to the world. The Yalkut says literally that God wrote the Torah, but not only wrote the Torah, but that each word and every letter is exact. And if one letter would be missing from its place, the whole world would be off kilter. And so, over here, what does the rabbis mean to teach us? When they teach us the parsha of Ayetze is Stuma, it means that the Torah itself created the environment created the wherewithal for Yaakov to be able to hide. Because this whole situation is described in a rather compact situation, it created a new reality for Yaakov. And lest you find this not only startling, but most challenging... He supports this thesis from a very interesting Gemara. The Gemara in, Bra- in Shabbos, 115b, 116a, tells us that God Himself put the inverted nuns 
before the two psukim of Vahibin Soha and Uvenu Choyomar, which are found in Parshas Bahaloscha, to teach us that this is not its proper place. Really, where should these two psukim be? Vahibin Soha Aron, and when the ark was taken and it was traveled, should be 50 paragraphs earlier in Parshas Bamidbar, chapter 2, where it describes how the Jewish people traveled. The nation traveled first, the camp of Yehuda, then the camp of Reuven. Thirdly came the Levium, and with the Levium came the Ark. So the Ark should be over the here by Heben Soa. Why is it placed in Baaloscha? In order to separate between one poor Anus and another, one tragedy and another, one bad thing and another, not having two together, because two together would emit something which would be negative for the Jewish nation. And just as Chernobyl, unfortunately, you couldn't feel it, you couldn't touch it, but within a radius thereof, there was something that unfortunately was so sad, it created a terrible state of being. Here too, the Torah is creating with the buffer of Ahibin Soa, avoiding this state of pur anus negativity. Amazing. The Gemara says over there that Reb Shimon ben Gamliel says in the future, Vahibin Soa will be restored to its future place. In the future when Mashiach comes, you'll get out of Shul two minutes later in Parshas Bamidbar and two minutes earlier in Parshas of the Parsha where it appears now of where what is this for us? We live, unfortunately, today in very challenging times. And, therefore, I want to assure everyone, the Torah teaches at the end of Parshas Vayelech that God says regarding the Torah, Kilo Sishachach Mipizaro, chapter 31, verse 21. The Torah will never be forgotten from the mouth of its offspring, the Jewish people. There always will be a Jewish people. There always will be a Jewish people studying Torah. And therefore, just as Vayetze Yaakov and the Parsha is Stuma to give the environment of Yaakov successfully being hidden, something which defies nature, the very survival of the Jew, which Rav Yaakov Emdin, Seychetzandik Levracha said, there's no greater miracle than the survival of the Jewish people. How do you explain it? And the answer is, God created a world, a reality, to match the blueprint of Torah. The blueprint of Torah says there always will be a Jewish nation. Pinch yourself. 
that we are Baruch Hashem, the proud fulfillment of this prophecy, and this prophecy will be with us. Adbias Goel Sedek. Shabbat Shalom to all.
a.m. in the a.m. Oh, yes, Avinu Malkenu. Knowing the role of the one above in all of this. Ten minutes before nine o'clock Friday morning, it's JM in the AM on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayetze. Candle lighting at 414. Matis hosts JM Sunday this coming Sunday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on the stream at jmtheam.org and of course on the NSN app. Don't forget Naomi Nachman follows us ten minutes from now with Table for Two. Uh, she'll have turkey talk with the owner of Grown Behold Grass-Free, Grass-Feed Meats, Naftali Hanu, and cookbook author Barbara Bensasoon. Uh, they'll be coming up 10 minutes from now. The video's already up on the NahumSiegel.com homepage. You can see everything at 9 o'clock this morning as it's happening. And, um, of course, you can tune in and listen in. Kedem presents the incredible era of Shabbos music mix all the way until candle lighting time. No better way to prepare for Shabbos. Uh, don't forget that uh, JM Sunday starts at 7 a.m. with Matis. And, of course, a court report with Elliot Weiselberg with Yeshiva League Sports starts at 7 p.m. Sunday with Elliot. Uh, Benjamin Siegel is rumored to be hosting this coming Monday morning here at JM in the AM. I'm going to take a few days off and head to um, our meetings for the uh, Paris Jewish Unity Initiative, which we're going to be conducting and bringing to Europe during Hanukkah 5776. As we get closer and closer to the fourth night of Hanukkah, we discussed this at length yesterday with Robert Ben Ramon. Those of you who missed it can check out the archives. A news story seems to be flying around everywhere about our conversation about it. So you can see that as well. Jonathan Pollard has been released. Many people in this audience have spent years praying for his release. Um, he may not have full rights and freedom the way you would hope, but he has uh, he has his freedom no longer in Butner, North Carolina. Happened at 4.15 Eastern Time this morning. I didn't think we'd ever have the opportunity to announce that on the air. And After all these years, we were able to announce it on the air. I got here to this radio station two years before he was arrested. And uh, here we are, 32 years later, talking about his release from prison. Candle lighting at 414, very early. Be very careful out there. Don't forget, Teaneck, New Jersey has the big Chesed 24-7 event tomorrow night. The Jewish Center of Teaneck is the place starting at 7.30 p.m. Uh, Chesed 24-7 is an amazing organization. Uh, providing crucial support for hospitalized patients and their families. We've spoken about this at length, and I've told you about the help they gave us. Uh, it's tomorrow night at 7.30 at the Jewish Center of Teaneck with a great Herzog wine tasting with entertainment. It's called the Live Game Show, a Dairy Buffet by P-Tax, exciting raffles and more information, chesed247.org, chesed247.org. Talmud Torah Flatbush tomorrow night has the uh, lecture by Mordechai Becher. Um, he'll speak about... Must Torah and science be in conflict? Hamatora Flapush on Coney Island Avenue tomorrow night beginning at 8 p.m. The Atid Society at the Joseph Kushner Hebrew Academy and the Ray Kushner Yeshiva High School presents vocal people, vocal people, an intergalactic phenomenon like no other, an amazing vocal sound, a cappella singing, the art of beatbox, and so much more. It's Sunday night with the performance at 7.30. Information, contact the Atid Society at the Joseph Kushner Hebrew Academy and the Ray Kushner Yeshiva High School. We've told you that the Ohel dinner is not just Sunday night. The Ohel dinner is completely sold out. They are asking people who think that they are going to walk up to the Ohel dinner with a check for a reservation on Sunday and get in. They're asking you to reconsider because they have no space. They have sold out the Marriott. It's amazing what a tribute to Mike Hellman this is and to all the honorees. 
Um, information, go to olfamily.org slash gala. We'll see you Sunday night. Uh, just an amazing outpouring from the community. Junior Nishay on the Lower East Side has their Chinese auction and boutique this coming Sunday night at the Orenstein Building on Bialystucker Place with all proceeds going to Tztucca. Information, you could speak with the folks at Junior Nishay on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And um, what else I want to mention? I think that's it for now, right? Check out our community calendar online. Go to the community calendar section of jmnam.org. And you'll see a whole bunch of events that are uh, that are listed there for you to know about and for you to uh, check out so you know what's happening in your neighborhood and other neighborhoods. Time to say good job. It's candle lighting at 414. Here's Journeys closing out a challenging week here at JM in the AM.
Israel and Achimachem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's uh, one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listen to sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Wraps up a, a challenging but extremely productive week here at JMNAM, and I thank you all for tuning in. Naomi Nachman is next, table for two on the stream at jmnam.org and, of course, on the NSN app. Uh, the NSN app now has the entire weekly update in its archives section to check it out. Go to the archives, uh, weekly update section of the archives section of the NSN app. It is there. Matis has JM Sunday, 7 o'clock Sunday morning. Elliot Weiselberg Sunday night at 7 with court report, basketball, hockey, everything from the Yeshiva League. And the Monday, it seems that Benjamin Siegel is going to kick off the few days of uh, substitute hosts here, and I thank him and everybody who's going to be sitting in. Uh, thank you so much, everybody. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend. Until next time, Malcolm Siegel reminding you, remember to past, live the present, and trust the future.